0: Is it true that you can leap over a chair from a standing position?
1: It depends on the size of the chair. Uh, I'll cheat a little bit. The big
0: electron, the big electron.
2: So I have cheated very badly, you see. What are we talking about here? There are monsters out in the cosmos that can swallow entire stars nothing this more seductive. Yes. Are you feeling it now, Mr. Krabs? Are you feeling it? Of course you feel it. Now what do you want to know? What I want to know is what's going on.
1: I think it's time to blow this thing get everybody in the stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, let's jam.
0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We've got a great job for you tonight. Let's get right to it.
3: All right, welcome to The Big Electron here on KCOU 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Um, we have a great show for you today, uh, and we have Adam and Anahita joining us today. Hello, guys. Oh. Hello.
2: Oh, I'm
3: out. <laughs> that's, that's high. Okay. Um, yeah, so thanks thanks for being here, guys. Um, we have uh, the first—the show's going to be a little bit different Um We have the first half of the show, we have an interview that Anahita and I um, had the chance to talk to a person. And then the second half, we're going to talk about uh, science news and kind of our our regular show type thing. Um, So, again, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so by calling here on studio or texting us at 573-882-8262. Or you can also reach us on our Facebook page where we are, The Big Electron. Um, Okay, so we are going to play an interview that, uh, like I mentioned, Anahita and I had the chance to be a part of. Um, Do you want to share a little bit about it, Anahita?
2: Sure. We uh, got to um, interview Jorge uh, Chan, who is the um, creator of Ph.D. Comics, when he was in town a couple of weeks ago to... um, show his movie, Ph.D. Comics 2. Um, so we got to talk to him a little bit about his path to where he is now.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. All right, so Ph.D. Really comics, great. yeah. And,
3: and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, Ph.D. Comics. It's They're very popular among graduate students um, because they reflect a lot on our experience <laughs>
1: yeah stresses that probably only somebody who's done it would uh would recognize oh, immediately right, anyone could right. sympathize but um there's some weird details that just are hard to explain are
3: well, hard to explain and he expresses those very well in the in the comics and um, that's why he's so popular with mm-hmm. with us um so, it's
2: really impressive how universally relatable it is
3: right right um I, although it's it's not as as impressive, I think it's you know. But you're right. I mean, it's it's grad school, and even though we're going through different processes, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of the same um, feeling, I guess, throughout.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's a unique experience, regardless mm-hmm. of what field you're in, and, yeah. um, what you're working towards, um, because. Uh, well, we're all kind of going through a several-year process where our main focus is on doing some sort of uh, research or or a thesis or dissertation, uh, which is a big written project, and um, under the supervision of some professors and experts in the field. So it's uh, it's uh, got its own kind of stresses in dealing with those. Uh, with those situations that um, are kind of similar to what you might just experience in a normal job, um, but with all the details changed, so that made no sense. But that's basically what he draws, and I would highly um, suggest seeing his comics if you were going to get a, a more clear idea what on earth I'm talking about.
3: Yeah. All right. So we're we have the interview in a, in a couple of different. Um, the first part of the interview, it's about how he, like his experience in in grad school, and then um, how he transformed into uh, going full time into PhD comics, um, and then the second half we'll talk about uh, a little bit more about uh, <clears> the <throat> Excuse me, the the movie uh, that we watched and um, sort of uh, what PhD comics is about. So here's the first part uh, again. Uh, Mahita and I talked to Jorge Cham. Uh, creator of PhD comics. I'm Jackie, thanks for being with us today. To get started, if you could tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up, how you got interested in science, and uh, what led you to go to graduate school and want to get a PhD in robotics?
0: Yeah, a short question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I grew up in Panama. Uh, My grandparents were Chinese, but they moved to Panama, and that's where my parents grew up, and that's where I grew up. And both of my parents were in engineers. My mother was a, a computer programmer, and my father was a civil engineer, and they both worked for the Panama Canal. So yeah, I think from an early age, I just I was good at math, I was good at physics, um, and I knew my parents were engineers, and I loved how my father would always say, engineering's the best profession, because you don't have to memorize anything. <laughs> You can always just look up the formula or you can work it out yourself. And so that that appealed to me a lot because I don't like to memorize things. And so yeah, and then I decided to do study mechanical engineering. Then I came to the States to study college. And then I think during my freshman year, I just would just have these really great professors at Georgia Tech who were really passionate about what they were doing and about teaching, about research. And I just thought, man, that's going to be an awesome job to be kind of dealing with the unknown on on a daily basis you know things that nobody else had done before or figured out before to kind of spend all your time thinking and dealing with those problems and so I got it in my head that I wanted to be a professor Uh, so I went to grad school at Stanford to study robotics that was another big shock when I went to college I thought you know I studied hearing but then it turns out you can actually uh, study robots (laughs) which I loved as a kid Uh, so I went to grad school and then my first uh, quarter at Stanford um, I saw an ad in a newspaper an ad in the newspaper asking for comics from students and I was talking to some friends and they were saying how uh, you know all the comics in newspapers at colleges are always about undergrads and what a difficult life they have but don't they know that grad school is when the real pain begins mm-hmm. uh, and so it just seemed again just something like hey this is something that doesn't exist out there maybe it would be fun to kind of start it and so I started drawing the comics and then I kept kind of doing it th- through my grad school and then as a postdoc slash instructor later uh, how it all started
3: great so going back to the science a little bit mm-hmm. so you said you, that you went into electrical engineering and that was mechanical engineering and that then you learn oh my gosh it's robotics um what drew you into robotics, and what was sort of the research that you did while you were doing your PhD? Uh,
0: well, what drew me to robotics was I, I was a big fan of Transformers as a kid. <laughs> uh, but when I saw that you could actually study, I thought what I thought was fascinating is fascinating by robotics is just the idea that, first of all, you're sort of imbuing life onto machines. You're sort of in a certain way sort of creating life and creating movement and 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 uh, things that seem sort of alive in a way. And so I was really I found that really fascinating. Uh, and then at the same time, what's cool about robotics is you also learn a lot about about how animals and humans do certain things. So for example, my thesis was on dynamic locomotion. So the project was to uh, figure out how to make robots that could run over really difficult terrain really fast. So for situations like exploring other planets that are really rocky, or um, trying to find survivors in, in like a disaster area or an earthquake um, site. And you need robots that I could run really fast. And, uh, and so the project was to get inspiration from biology. And so we worked with the biologists who uh, studied cockroaches, because they turn out to be the best runners in the world. Yeah, not the most beautiful creature creatures, <laughs> from an aesthetic point of view. Um, but yeah, they're, they're beautiful in the way that they run and the, the way they can um, do it without thinking about it very much. And so in, in us building robots that could run like cockroaches, we are, we're also learning a little bit about um, how the cockroaches do it and how the physics behind it.
3: When you say robot, we, we think of, uh, I'm guessing a lot of people think of, of a specific type of robot, but there is more to it. What is your definition or what is the definition of a robot
0: uh, that's actually a very hotly contested question okay. even the robotics field you know uh, to me a robot is just sort of like an artificial system um, that can do a certain task uh, independently um, that's how i guess that's how i would define it and kind of what was interesting about our project is that you know most people's idea of a robot is something that has you know uh, metal arms and metal joints and moves very stiffly mm-hmm. but if you actually look at how nature does it uh, you know we don't have joints uh, we don't have you know like stiff joints and we don't have um uh perfectly stiff limbs and things like that we're kind of flexible and stretchy and mm-hmm. uh and so the our project was also sort of study new ways to make robots that did not involve necessarily like screws and, and nuts and maybe we can build things more like organically
3: mm-hmm. one last question about academic life so after you graduated you said you did a postdoc slash you went into uh become a graduate an instructor at caltech what course were you teaching there how was your experience as an instructor there
0: it was a, it was a great experience um i taught kinematics uh my first uh ter- term there and then i got involved in uh, mechanical design classes, so teaching um, people how to design linkages and, and uh, how to tackle design problems and things like that. And I also taught a cartooning class, so I was assigned to teach a, a cat class, like a computer-aided design class, mm-hmm. so how to make models on the computer. Uh, but I always sort of seemed to me like before you jump on the computer to design something, you should doodle it and sketch it and work it out on paper mm-hmm. as much as you can. And so I taught... Students kind of how to doodle and draw, which was kind of convenient because I knew how to draw <laughs> from the comics. Uh, it, was, it was a great experience, but I think the more I was in it, um, the more I sort of realized that I really enjoyed uh, drawing these comics. And I really got a, a, real, um, a lot of ple- pleasure from interacting with readers and, and putting the work out there. And so it, at some point it sort of became clear that uh, these comics I was drawing were more popular than the research I was working on. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it just seemed to be kind of where where things were calling me.
2: So now that we're on the topic of cartoons, and um, obviously your PhD comics are widely successful, especially in academic fields, were you always interested in art? Is that where this whole design by nature started to come into your robotics?
0: Um, well, the way I got into comics from an early age was, uh, my, my father, uh, who I said worked for the Canal one time was driving through the American zone, where the Americans lived, and he saw an American family leaving, and they were selling everything they had, and so he bought from them this old box of comics and comic books from, like, the 70s and early 80s, uh, and he just brought it home, and it was all in English, because he figured, hey, this way my kids can learn English. And so we just ate it up and we just really became, uh, we would read them all the time and we, we just would doodle all the time, try to copy the characters. And then eventually that turned into like during class, I would doodle a lot. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, that's kind of how the interest in comics uh, became, yeah.
2: So uh, making comics, even if they're about graduate students, it is very far away from science. Did you feel a lot of support um, making that switch? I know it's something I'm worried about as I want to enter a alternative alternative career uh-huh. so did you, were your family and advisors and everybody supportive of that
0: yeah I mean generally um the the advisors that I had like my PI in, as in, as a grad student as an undergrad and as a, as a later as a instructor and, and research associate you know they, they were really great people in that they were more concerned kind of about what made their students happy and what what, helping them kind of fulfill their potentials. You know, he gave me, the, uh, Joel Burdick at Caltech gave me this great advice. He said, you know, I've, I see a lot of graduate students um, that have a lot of talents and they're, and they're really good at academics, but maybe they're really good at something else. And so they feel really conflicted about which, which, which path they should take. And so he just always gives you the great advice, which is to, um, yeah, just pick one thing and be really good at that and, and don't look back.
3: How was then the transition going from becoming an instructor wanting to be an academic into fully transitioning into okay PhD comics and then now you kind of have to eat out of PhD comics right? So <laughs> how, how was that transition um, into you know coming from the academic side onto what PhD comics has become now?
0: Um, well I always advise people that um, don't give up your day job. Just idea <laughs> you know I had been doing comics the PhD comics for a long time before I made the switch and you know there was some income coming from that uh, already um, so it wasn't like a total leap of faith I knew there was sort of an ongoing business behind it and a uh, possible income source So I, what I did was I gave myself uh, two years to um, make a certain figure in my head that I considered to be a decent living uh, to do it and if that didn't work I would just go back and find a postdoc and try to get back on the academic track and so fortunately or maybe unfortunately <laughs> I don't know yet <laughs> uh, it kind of worked out and things kind of it turned It turned turn out that you know when you focus all of your energy into uh, one thing that you really believe in I think then um, it, it's it's, uh, it's hard for it not not to um, not to grow and to, to do well I think
2: so the um topics of all of your comics are graduate school and the trials and tribulations. These are things that people across the country relate to, but you're not in graduate school anymore. Do you see um as you step further and further away from that, um is it getting harder to come up with ideas or was it just so traumatic it's stuck in your brain? <laughs>
0: you mean like how deep are the scars yeah (laughs) yeah they're deep they're pretty deep yeah i can still sort of think back to my time and 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 put myself in that position and yeah i still sort of dig up in my memory stories from that happened to me or the the people i knew but mostly what happens now is people kind of write me with stories or they um when i go to events at, at, at universities i'll meet people and they'll tell me their stories and uh you know, it sort of it was clear to me, even from the very beginning that I started drawing this, that these comics weren't about me, kind of know, about my experiences and what my personal expression of it. But it was really kind of an expression of the collective experience. You know, I just happened to be the guy who could draw and could <laughs> maybe write a decent, uh, semi-decent punchline. Uh, so I'm just kind of the, the conduit. Um, and so nowadays, kind of what makes it interesting for me is just to kind of... Um, as a way to study kind of human nature you know um through the prism of um grad school and academia mm-hmm. yeah prism not prison
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> all right that was that was intense uh, <laughs> so that was uh tom talking to us about phd comics and what uh what he does um sort of how he came to the idea and kind of the background that he has so um we're gonna go on a short musical break uh and then we'll be back with more of hortez jam's uh interview in the meantime this is Dan funk uh with their song acting all right welcome back to the big electron here on kcu 88.1 fm um thanks for listening if you're here in Colombia and also if you're listening online on KCU.FM. Hi, Mom. <laughs> Hello to Adam's mom, Sally. And uh, we, we would like to acknowledge our, our online listeners. So, Sally and Travis. <laughs>
2: Hi, Travis.
3: Thanks for listening. <laughs> okay, so we have a second part of our interview with Jorge Tem. Um, now he's going to talk about a uh, little bit about uh, his movie. And like we said... We talked to him after the showing of the PhD Two movie, uh, which was uh, a couple of weeks ago. I want to say uh, when he was here, and so uh, all three of us were were at the movie, were, were at the screening. Um, so he he we uh, we watched the movie, and then we we talked to him. And so this is the second part of our interview with Jorge Tam. So we just came out of the PhD movie screening, um, two PhD movie two. Um, so the PhD movie, the first one was released about two, two thousand eleven. This one is coming out this year. How was the transitioning? Can you guide us through a little bit of the process? And was it, what was kind of the hardest part of turning the comics into a live action movie?
0: Uh, the, well, the hardest part is just getting the project started and producing it, and uh, it's such a. It's really, uh, making movies is really hard. I mean, think about how many movies get made a year and then how many of them are not that great. (laughs) So already your odds are are terrible to make something. Uh, But even just to filming, anything can go wrong at any time and there's a lot of money kind of invested and at stake. and um, It's just a huge kind of project with a lot of uncertainty and so you really have to kind of work hard to manage it and to... um, Make sure nothing goes wrong, and so that's I think the most hard, the hardest part is just getting the project off the ground and, and making it go through. Um, I, but maybe specifically you were asking about like transfer adapting the comics to the to the yeah. Um, it was it would, I, I think from the beginning I saw it as a great opportunity to tell a, a longer story. So in the comics it's, it's kind of hard to tell kind of a longer deeper personal story that really kind of where the characters have a transformation and things like that because you know it's it's the comic strip and um it has to be uh, comes out periodically and people may not read it from the beginning and so you it's it's kind of hard and it's hard to get people's attention if you do that sort of comics uh and so the movies were really i i thought saw them as a cool opportunity to kind of have these longer storylines yeah mm-hmm.
3: Now, when getting the, the project started uh, and, and writing those stories, how hard and or how easy was it to get people interested in the project um, funding wise and, you know, knowing that it would be a success of sorts? Um, and, and I know it's, it's, it's hard to tell uh, if you're going to be successful or not, but, you know, Getting the, the funds to it, and, and knowing that some people somewhere were gonna like them.
0: Um, yeah, you never know. I mean, it's it's a lot of it is just you're taking a big leap of faith, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of it is just you're you're constantly stressed about that, <laughs> <laughs> and and that's kind of what uh, you just put a lot of your attention and 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 effort into making sure that it's something that is gonna turn out well. Um, but yeah, in terms of getting it started for the first one. You know, I think what helped a lot was that we didn't set out to make a movie. We just, um, I just set out to maybe film a few videos for the our YouTube channel, maybe, you know, based on the comics. And so then I talked to a few people at Caltech about that. and They're like, oh yeah, that's really great. We wanna help you. Uh, let's talk to this person in this office. And then they and then it would just go to the next meeting and be like, oh, we're thinking of making some videos. And they're like, oh great, we think we can help you. Why don't you make many videos? And then and then you go to the next person like, "Oh yeah, great, why't you just make it a movie?" And, <laughs> and mm-hmm. so it just sort of grew without me really knowing how hard it would be to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the graduate and the, the graduate student involved, the producer involved. And so I think ignorance helped a lot mm-hmm. and and not sort of being afraid of, of the unknown a little bit. Um, but yeah, at the end it's just. Um, it's just um, trying as hard as you can to, to make sure it's, it, it, it's not awful.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. So I have a question about uh, the comics and their impact. Do you think that the comics serve as a way to in, uh, bring awareness to the general public about how difficult graduate school is or is it more of therapy for the graduate students to know that they're not alone?
0: Yeah, I think that people who have not gone through experience, I think they do get that a lot. I get a lot of, um, usually like every day somebody will say, oh, thank you for joining the comics. It it helped my wife understand what I was going through or it helped my husband understand or my parents. I gave it to my parents and now they understand more. So I think it, it does sort of help a lot. Uh, but definitely kind of the, uh, the people it hits the most is the people sort of going through it, yeah.
3: So speaking of of the grad students that really liked it and probably um, visit the the website, the channel, and everything, um, you had statistics on, on your website saying that about forty six million daily views or overall views, something like that. Something <laughs> it's a lot of views. <laughs> um, how does it? F- like too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, how does it feel? to be able to impact so many people and so many graduate students that are going through this process and that it's some sort of, uh, as Anahita said, a therapy of some sort uh, to go through this uh, transformative process?
0: Um, uh, Yeah, I think think the statistics is something like eight million uh, unique readers a year. That's maybe, and I think page views, yeah, I think page views is maybe a hundred million a year. Um, but how does it feel um to know it's reaching a lot of people um i I try really hard not to think about it (laughs) actually because if you do think about it you sort of freeze up and you freak out a little bit yeah yeah so i I find it's best to um not think about it too much and just kind of try to focus on um doing what interests you as a creator you know and and then hopefully what interests you is something that interests uh, a lot of other people
3: um, okay, so I guess to close up on, on the interview, we have a couple of questions. Uh, one is, what advice would you give to grad students that are going through the process of a grad school and everything? Um, and then the second question is, what advice would you give to those people who are interested in the sciences, uh, whether they're young Scientist high school, middle schoolers, or just people who have always had an interest in science?
0: Um, yeah, what advice would I give? Um, I would, uh, I get asked a lot, you know, do, you, do I wish that I had quit grad school or do I wish that I'd never gone to grad school? Uh, but no, I actually have a very positive view about academia and science and the PhD because, you know, I think there are so many problems in the world and really the only way we're going to solve a lot of them is through research and to learning more about these things and experimenting with different solutions. And so we need, like, all the science and all the engineers and all the um, educated people that we can. (laughs) So I would feel really bad if somehow my comics were discouraging people from that. Um, But, yeah, I always encourage people to go for it because, you know, I feel like during grad school, your brain just grows so many sizes in in the process. You know, if you think about how much you learn just in four years of college, now imagine if you double that, you know how much your brain uh, grows, and you learn a lot about yourself and about um, how to think analytically and think about big problems and small problems. And so, I always still have to say, to people, it's totally worth it. Um, yeah, but at the same time, you know, if you find yourself in it and you're finding um, that it's not for you, I mean, don't um, don't think you're a failure or don't think that you're disappointing anyone. Really, at the end of the day, you can only uh, you have to do what's right for yourself. And, and there are many other ways uh, to have an impact in the world and to make a positive difference. Uh, and that, that that's there's a million ways out there that you can do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what my advisor was saying, is that you know, it, it's not whether you're a professor or you're not a professor or you're a PhD or you're not a PhD. It's about um, picking something you feel passionate about that you feel it, it does good and then going after that.
2: All right. Well, thank you, Jorge, for uh, answering all of our many questions. We really appreciate you having you on the show. Right. Thank you. <laughs> all right. That was uh, that was
3: our interview with Jorge Chum. What did so? So he was talking about uh, PhD comics and how um, it has. Um, had such a big impact on on grad students. And uh, Mm -hmm. like I mentioned before, playing that part of the interview, we had just come out of the PhD2 movie screening. Mm -hmm. Uh, All three of us were in there.
2: Um, What did you guys think of the movie? It definitely was funny uh, and relatable.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It was uh, was a lot of fun. Um, So um, there were... uh... Oh, hello. (laughs) I sound different. Um, it was a uh, it was a lot of fun to go watch this movie. It's um, not likely, I would say, to top Star Wars at the box office if they were to be released on the same day, um, because it's in a, in a way a bit uh, narrowly focused. But for anyone who's been through the process, he's he's presented a lot of really barely exaggerated examples of of what we all go through. There's a, there's a lot of scenes take place at a uh, at a scientific conference where people are giving short presentations of their work to a, an audience of people who work in the same field, and all of the terrible ways that that can go, uh, which again he barely exaggerates, uh, and is somehow able to uh, to get all of us hooked on that. So the whole thing was really a lot of fun. Mm-hmm.
3: So. It was, and then there was a shout out for Missouri. There, <laughs> there was. I was going to say he mentioned Missouri.
1: Mm-hmm. He. Shall I explain?
3: <laughs> I, I th- maybe.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think we should. <laughs> sure, why not? Uh, so, in the in the film, it has two rival professors. These are the the bosses of the main characters, and they're both well established, you know, senior level researchers at mm-hmm. universities. And one of them uh, uh, accuses the other at. Uh, being at one of those football schools like missouri or kansas (laughs) um and i have heard a few folks from kansas who heard that joke in the movie questions like why is kansas included in this (laughs) Right. Um, um, well
3: based on the season right now but we're not talking about it
1: (laughs) so but uh yeah so we um he didn't seem to perceive that um how much of an impact he was in missouri mm-hmm. and playing this film which has this uh shot at missouri in it
3: yeah
1: <laughs> uh, so so one of the audience uh was was forced to grill him about this just a little bit in the q and a afterwards <laughs> which which would be me yes <laughs> that was you <laughs> it was uh it was a good time anyway it mm-hmm, was uh, mm-hmm. all in fun so
3: yeah it's it, again it was the the movie's it's very light uh And and a lot of the issues that it touches, and Mm -hmm. the jokes—I mean, they are—you know—they're they're they're funny, uh, but they're not in a a ugly kind of way. I I don't know how to say it. They're not. I mean, it's it's good fun, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's it's poking fun of the grad students, um, which is kind of similar what the comics are about, and so it's you know it's the translation of the
2: comics into real life. I think my favorite part of the movie was one of the uh, one of the groups went to a conference and one student, one of the graduate students, had to share a hotel room with his advisor. Right. <laughs> and I think even if you aren't a graduate student, you can imagine you can commiserate with the idea of having to share a room, a one bed hotel room, with your boss for <laughs> for a week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that, how uncomfortable and. Awkward and hilarious that right. can be.
3: Which I think even, um, I don't know if this has happened to you guys, but uh, it hasn't happened to me, but I've heard that when you're going to a conference with your boss, even seeing your boss that's outside of the lab, it's, some people call it as, as
2: uncomfortable, uh, I don't know how that plays. I can see that. I uh, personally haven't had that experience. Mm-hmm. But
1: you've it, never seen your boss outside of the lab
2: <laughs> and it be uncomfortable. Oh, okay, okay. I've, I've yeah, the uncomfortable part. It's the oh, uncomfortable okay. part. Yeah.
1: I, I hide when my boss is <laughs> around,
3: yeah, I hide when I'm
2: in lab and my boss is <laughs> yeah. around. Also, there. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Hashtag PhD problems. Uh, <laughs> all right, so we're, we're going to go on a short musical break and then we'll be back with some uh, really cool articles that uh, we're going to talk about. So you're listening into the Big Electron on KCAU 88 per 1 FM. Boom, 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 boom. what's song? No, it's boom, not playing. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, there we yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the mics went on before the music (laughs) did, so uh, that happened. Um, All right. Thanks for listening to Big Electron here on KCOU Columbia. Um, We have Adam. You have a really cool article to share with us.
1: I do. Um, Now, I'm going to be talking a little bit about informatics, which is the use of computers to solve problems. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, this is in reference to to an article in particular in the journal Nature. Um, the article is called Informatics Make Sense of Health Data. And it's uh, not original work, but a comment article, an opinion article, essentially. Uh, the first author credited is Julian Elliott. If you would like to find it for yourself, just uh, give that a look in the current issue of Nature. Um, if you want to. If you want to. Uh, yes, yes, if, uh, if you choose to look further into it. So um, the general idea of this article is to... To bring up the potential of using informatics to solve uh, issues in our healthcare system, there are a whole lot of types of data that are going on. Not just your personal uh, healthcare, your your personal medical records, and things like that, but all sorts of details about you as um, as an individual, um, features about yourself demographically like age, for example, but also you know where you are, what hospital you're going to, what kind of procedures you've had in the past and how that relates to what you're likely to need in the future. So all of these um, issues are, are something that can be pretty easily uh, recorded, but we don't usually put these different kinds of information together mm-hmm. uh, to do anything with them, like say um, use some sort of predictive software to predict like you might, be in a high-risk category of developing this or that illness within the next five years. So you need to um, give some consideration to a protective or um, preventative screening, that sort of thing. Um, so putting together all these different kinds of data might be a really good way to do that. And um, the there is a, a set of software tools that people have developed over the years that fall in the general category called informatics, which Mm -hmm. is just using computers Mm -hmm. to solve these kind of problems. So um, this article lists all sorts of different, um, not only types of data that can be collected, but about types of software and types of programs that have been used for a variety of things in the world before that could be put to use uh, doing this. They mentioned, for example, some of the software that people use to... Um, do online translating programs or mm-hmm. uh, speech pattern analysis that doesn't directly have any bearing on uh, medical issues, but you can use the same kind of tools that you would find in those kind of computer programs and put them to work on health issues and in concert with a whole bunch of other ones can might be able to come up with some some really good um, predictive software about who needs what and mm-hmm. when so
3: yeah, and I, and I think it's it's a really cool way of looking at potential whatever, right? Yeah. Whatever some, Whatever's going to happen and, and I think it's, I see it as a um, kind of a personalized medicine but not necessarily mm-hmm. personalized uh, but because of the power of computers and you're not, I mean all you need is a computer well you probably need servers and, and all that stuff but um, you know, you have all this data that can be analyzed that mm-hmm. if you were to do it by hand or if you were to try certain experiments, it would take forever, right, to see well, a change. But having all this data available to you and you can just plug it into the computer and into a software and then it telling you you can have this or, this or that disease, um, I think it's, it's really important Um, to keep an eye on informatics and
2: um, how they're going to play a role and into our healthcare system. I was going to say, it's also really like, if you think about this data, how much data we're putting out there constantly Mm -hmm. that if it's just gathered and analyzed, it can be used. So I have a Fitbit. I use Instagram I'm on Facebook and Twitter all the time, so uh, you could pretty much follow all the food I eat amongst all those social media. <laughs> and then you have how many steps I walk. and that's more data than the what once a year I go to a doctor, and I usually go when I'm sick. So you're mm-hmm. not getting an you're not getting a baseline in that if we're putting out all this data right right. These yeah. programs help us to actually get some information out of them
3: that we wouldn't even consider of or even when you go to the doctor and they ask you well okay how's your I don't know food consumption or whatever you know you're going to say only a couple of sentences Mm -hmm. but if you have all this data that you can analyze and see a trend and see you know based on all the other stuff that you do how it affects you, I think that will give a better diagnosis.
1: Right. And it's not only you, a hypothetical you as right. a patient right. that mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily see the things that these um, massive data processing devices can see. Mm-hmm. It's also the doctors. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. Or, or biomedical researchers who right. would be able to detect trends using this kind of um, this kind of software mm-hmm. that they wouldn't necessarily see As an individual, because we can gather and aggregate huge Mm -hmm. amounts of data Mm -hmm. that wouldn't be done otherwise. And in the article, they gave an example of of a um, particular um, drug called, I apologize, I'm looking for the name of it, a drug. We'll just go with a drug Mm -hmm. that they had been using for years, and it turned out was not really healthy to use in concert with. With another particular drug, mm-hmm. and uh, apparently this one had been on the market for some uh, for some years uh, before anyone realized this negative effect of taking it in concert with something else. Mm-hmm. But um, that sort of process could be uh, made a lot faster if you're tracking if that you're sort tracking, of thing in the, right, in the moment right. and just you know passively looking for that sort of thing mm-hmm. with computer data.
3: And, and even um, I know this might be an exaggeration, but you know even in the environment that we live. Uh, you know, if if you're prescribing drugs, and I know this happens the way I'm thinking about it is in chemistry Uh, sometimes you read about a reaction and how, you know, this worked and there's been cases where you read about this stuff and you try to reproduce it here and it's like, oh, it's not working so you think that the person that published it was wrong, but Actually, it's just the environment that they are. You know, if it's if they're in the desert and you're here, or if mm-hmm. they're on the coast and you're here, there sometimes that place into, and in, that that becomes a role. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if we think about it, on you know, looking at how this drug is prescribed, in. California versus here in Missouri, and right. going to the coast—like you know—it's a very different lifestyle, and we're exposed to different things in the oh, environment right. that that may play into that may you I know be a role in, into
2: diagnosis or how effective a certain drug may be I think it definitely can. Um, so this is an example, and I'm going to be horrible at remembering all the details, <laughs> but I'll try to get us through it. Um, a long time ago, there was um, an outbreak of some disease um, and doctors were trying to figure out there was no common link between all the people who were being sick. They couldn't figure out what the common link was. And then somebody made a map. Mm -hmm. of the city it was london i believe and they showed london you know Uh, what i'm talking about i don't recall
1: the disease but i'll look it up yes there was an outbreak of some illness that they traced back to a water source to a water
2: source and it wasn't until they actually looked at the geographic locations of everyone who was sick Mm -hmm. that they noticed that there were more deaths closer to this water source except for this one area that had its own water source and it was a it was some kind of religious, it was like a church or something like that, and they had their own water source, mm-hmm. And but everyone around them was dying. And yep. wow. it was the geographic location was how they figured out, mm-hmm. oh, this disease is communicable through water.
1: Yeah, so the novel aspect of this informatics approach is mm-hmm. not that we would suddenly be finding out things that a human brain can't conceive of or anything like that. It's nothing like right. that. It's that exact sort of thing but on a scale, it's just faster and Mm -hmm. on a broader scale than what we can do by hand.
3: Right, and I think a lot of the word that that we hear with bioinformatics is prevention.
1: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So,
3: you know, it's we have all this data, and I think we can prevent so many things that would have a bigger impact. Um, But also, when we have those outbreaks or when we have, you know, some other thing, the outcome would be faster to find out, you know, what's causing X, Y, or Z.
1: Right. Well, it's a uh, exciting time. Mm-hmm. We've got it is. computers mm-hmm. that are crazy smart now, so we can do these things.
3: Mm-hmm. And we—I ha- mean—we we, got to keep in mind that it's—it's it's how easy it's to computer and um, how we're gonna how easy it is to get computing power and develop those technologies that are being developed mm-hmm. uh to make computing faster. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and you know that that makes a big difference in into
2: our health. I'm also going to say one more thing that's really cool about this is how collaborative it is.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
2: Um, so you're working with doctors, you're working with the patients themselves, you're working with computer scientists, and mm-hmm.
1: yeah, the computers aren't doing this stuff on their own. No, they, absolutely not. They're not, not that <laughs> smart yet. Um, somebody has to pick and choose what to feed into these mm-hmm. systems and how to mm-hmm. interpret the interpret data and the so data. on. This is a large number of people getting involved in this, so we're not completely handing over our lives to our new robot overlords yet. Um, we are, we're just
3: using this technology yeah. to have yeah. this, this sort of
1: yeah. these field are now. These are very powerful tools if people mm-hmm. put it to work and they're so new that we haven't really maxed out all the applications right. of it yet. Mm-hmm. And the article that I originally started with here is really just a a column requesting or asking that we go forward and find some new applications for technology that we already have and tools Mm -hmm. that we can really put to good use in a medical sense and that's really exciting.
3: Yeah, it is really exciting and I just, before we close the show, uh we have a, a good uh, bioinformatics program here at Mizzou. Um We actually, all three of us, had the opportunity to hear a little bit about mm-hmm. uh, what one of the grad students is doing uh, in regards to bioinformatics, um, and so it's it's happening. We we have it here, um, and so I I wouldn't be surprised if we hear something from yeah. from pretty Pretty yeah, pretty we
1: quickly. we have folks right here at Missouri working on this exact uh, sort of application. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. We we wish them luck certainly
3: yeah absolutely absolutely okay well thanks for listening it's been a great a great show hope you liked it uh, we'll be back next week with a very special guest um, that uh, it's it's related to medicine so it will be it will be an, a very interesting interesting show thanks for listening you were listening to the Beg electron on KCOU Columbia eighty eight point one FM have a good night.